Welcome to this week's Rashi Shior, coming to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash of Melbourne, Australia. And we'll start with a very quick word on the parasha, which is Parashat Emor. And for those listening in Israel, that was last week. And in this week's parasha, we have actually quite a lot. Emor is quite a busy parasha, and it includes all the Chagim. And amongst all the Chagim, it includes Sukkot. And on Sukkot, we are told to take a pre eitz Hadar. What is a pre eitz Hadar? We think it's an etrog. How do we know it's an etrog? What does Hadar mean? How is Hadar normally translated? Beautiful. Hadar is normally translated as beautiful, and some say pre eitz Hadar means a beautiful fruit of the tree, which identifies it as an etrog. What does Rashi say? Rashi says Hadar is Hadar be'ilan mishana l'shana, that dwells. Hadar meaning Hadar, one who dwells, on the tree from year to year. In other words, it's a fruit which takes a few years to grow, and it stays on the tree. It doesn't fall off and restart again each year, but the process of germination, I suppose, of an etrog is about three years. And says Rashi, based on Chazal, that's how we know that a pre eight Hadar is an etrog. But it's interesting that Hadar is also understood as beauty. But Rashi says it's something with longevity, something that goes on a long time. So um, Keats, the uh, romantic English poet, said a thing of beauty is a joy forever. And perhaps we can rephrase that and say a thing that is forever is a beauty. Because what we cherish is not things that are beautiful per se, certainly not on a superficial level. We cherish things that are long-lasting. That is our beauty. So Hadar, you could say, is beautiful. But it's beautiful because Hadar b'shana, b'ilan mishana l'shana. It dwells on the tree from year to year. It keeps going. Okay, we will resume with Bereshit Perak Gimel. And it's really getting very exciting because our main characters, Adam and Chava, and a um, supporting role in the form of the Nachash, have transgressed the one mitzvah that they were given. And Hashem says to Adam, uh, where are you? And Adam says, I hid because I was naked and I was embarrassed. And Hashem says, did you eat from the tree? And as we saw last week, Adam's response is to say, to point the fingers and say it was all her fault. Rashi says, this is kafar batovahi, denied the goodness, he was ungracious. But then it goes on to say in Pasuk Yud Gimel. So what happens next is Pasuk Yud Gimel. Hashem said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The snake, which I won't translate, and I ate. So you get the progression. Hashem turns to Adam, and Adam says it's all her fault. And then Hashem turns to Chava, and the Chava says it's all the snake's fault because Hanachash Hisiani. What does Hisiani mean? I'm sorry, you're quite right. Whoops, that was embarrassing. Hisiani. Thank you. And thank you for expressing it so politely. Uh, the snake Hisiani. What does Hisiani mean? Hisiani means something else. What does Hisiani mean? Okay, well, let's look at Rashi. Rashi wants to tell us what Hishiani means. And he says it means Hitani. What does Hitani mean? Tricked me or led me astray or made me make a mistake from Ta'ut. So it's the Hifl of Ta'a. Ta'a, he made a mistake. 
Hitani, he, the snake made her make a mistake. Or he, she says, the snake made me make a mistake. Why does Rashi have to tell us this? Well, let's go a little bit further. Because Rashi doesn't just say, Hitani, he made me make a mistake. But Rashi brings a source. Kamo, and he brings a pasuk in Divrayamim, the very end of the Tanakh. Al yashi etchem chizkiyahu. Al yashi etchem chizkiyahu. Which means, well, you have to look at that pasuk there. As we said last time, if Rashi brings a pasuk, you should look at the pasuk. And if you look at the pasuk, the wider context is um, Sancherev is sending messengers to the Jews. Sancherev is at war. He is in Assyria. He's the mightiest empire of the time. And he's sending messengers to the Jews. And he's saying, don't listen to your king Chizkiyahu because you can't trust him. Because, um, well, first he says to Chizkiyahu, and now, al yashi etchem Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu, don't trick them. Don't make, don't yashi them. Don't yashi them. Now, how does this Pasuk help? Because in our Pasuk, we're not quite sure what Hishi'ani means. And he quotes a Pasuk which says, Al yashi etchem Chizkiyahu. So how does that add? And the answer is, you have to look a little bit further in the Pasuk in Divrei Hayomim. Because in Divrei Hayomim, it goes on to say, Va'al yasit etchem. And do not yasit. Yud samach yud taf. Now, what is yasit? Okay, yasit is roughly translated as influence, but with a negative connotation. Maybe insight is a better word. And the point is this, that the verb hashi is found in a number of places in the Torah, and basically it's got two meanings, which are not totally distinct, as we will see. And the two meanings are to incite um, or to uh, persuade in a not good way, or to mislead, to make them make a mistake. And Rashi says it means mislead, and he brings the Pasuk from Divra Hayamim, and it's very clear there in Divra Hayamim, because it says, Sancherev says to Chizkiyahu, Al yashi etchem Chizkiyahu, the al yasit etchem, making clear that yashi and yasit are two separate things, at least in that Pasuk. In that Pasuk, yashi, must not mean the same as yasit, so it cannot mean incite, and therefore it must mean mislead. And that's why Rashi brings that pasuk to say that what Chava was saying was the snake misled me, not the snake persuaded me. Now, I'm using English words, so they're not quite the same. Translation never is. But would anyone like to suggest, what's the difference between mislead and persuade? And why is Rashi say that Chava's defense is the snake misled me, not that the snake persuaded me? Misled, as you said, has negative connotations. Yeah, no, well, I, I said, no, I said, uh, mis, uh, I said persuaded. Is, oh, when you say, Yasit is persuaded with negative connotations. But mislead is not. I mean, you could also translate, I don't think it's the exact translation, because again, the nuance isn't quite right, but you could say tricked me for the way Rashi explains it. Hitani, he tricked me. He made me make a mistake. But make a mistake to the point where you think you're doing the right thing. Ah, very good. Very good. I think that's the difference. In fact, I know that's the difference. Yasit is to persuade someone like this. Look, it's the wrong thing to do, but it's jolly good, so let's do it. Sorry, I'm nervous about getting my grammar wrong. Um, but to make them make a ta'ut is to say, this wrong thing, it's actually a good thing. 
Forget that it's a wrong thing. I'm going to persuade you that it's a good thing. So, two points to follow from that. Is number one is it doesn't make sense for Chava to say the snake persuaded me to do the wrong thing as if I knew it was the wrong thing all along but under the influence of the snake I did it. What Chava's defense is he made me make a mistake. He made me think it was the right thing. That's a much stronger defense. I'm basically guiltless. And furthermore, and this is actually a better point, according to Rashi, um, how exactly did the snake, let's not use either word, how did the snake make Chava eat the fruit? Anyone remember? He pushed, according to Rashi, he pushed her against the tree. She had said, erroneously, that the prohibition is not just to eat from the fruit, but to touch the tree. And if I touch the tree, I will die. He pushed her against the tree. This is all Rashi. She didn't die. So what did she conclude from that? There's no prohibition after all. And therefore, I'm allowed to eat the fruit. And that fits in with Rashi's shot here that um, it's, he made me make a mistake, not he made me do something which I knew was wrong. So by the way, whenever Rashi says, this is what the word means, it's good to ask, well, what alternative interpretation is he pushing away? What is he rejecting? Because sometimes Rashi tells you what the word means just because the word's a very hard word and we just don't know what it means. But more often, Rashi tells you what the word means because there's an alternative meaning which he wants to refute. And the second point to learn from this is... Um, that when he brings a Pasuk, look up the Pasuk. And also, I told you last week, what else should you do? If you look at Rashi on the Pasuk. And in this case, there's no Rashi on the Pasuk, so there's not much to say. But I will say something else, that um, a good example of where uh, Yashi is used without Yasit, so it's actually a little bit vague, it's a little bit ambiguous. There are many examples, but I'll quote, Yimayahu Kaftet Pasukhet, Ki Hashem, Hashem says, Yimiyahu says in the name of Hashem, don't let the prophets, i.e. the false prophets, amongst you, Yashi'u um, lachem. So what does Yashi'u lachem mean? Well, does it mean to uh, persuade negatively, or does it mean to mislead? How would we work that out? If we looked at Rashi on that Pasuk, Rashi there says, this is, for those following, Yimiyahu Kaftet Pasuket, Rashi there says, Yashiu Lashan Hasata. There, Rashi says, Yashiu there means persuade. And that makes more sense, because these false prophets are persuading people to do bad things, not by, well, Rashi's telling us, not by misleading them and tricking them, but by persuading them, if you like, to go over to the dark side. But there's a reason I quoted that Rashi, because I haven't finished the Rashi. Because Rashi finishes by saying something which is going to confuse us. So again, in, there, in that Pasuk in Yemiyahu, Kavchet Pasukhet, the word Yashi'u appears, and it's ambiguous. Okay? There's no um, other word in the Pasuk that fixes what Yashi'u must mean. So Rashi tells us there, Lashon Hasata. Kamo, and then he brings another text to give the same proof. Kamo. Hanachash Hishiani from Bereshit Perak Gimel. Now, you are frowning. Okay, let me just say that again, and you, hopefully you'll all frown. You'll all frown. So Rashi finds a verb, Hashiu, Hashiu, um, which is vague, which is ambiguous. Rashi tells us it means Hasata, which means persuading in a bad way. 
precisely the interpretation that he rejected in our case. But then he says it means persuasion just like this Pasuk here, Hanachash Hashiani. And why is that a problem? Why is that? Here he says it's like a different and here he says, well, first of all, he doesn't choose that Pasuk. But I, that I understand. He chooses a Pasuk here, which is unambiguous. He chooses a Pasuk in Divrayamim. And because the Pasuk in Divrayamim has Yashiu and Yasitu, it shows they're not the same thing. But you're obviously on the right lines, and I think probably it's quite clear that something funny is happening, that Rashi tells you that the interpretation he gives in Yemiyahu, the other interpretation, that's fine, because Yeshia means either of the two. But then he says, and you can see it means what I'm saying it means by looking at this Pasuk, but Rashi on this Pasuk, here in Bereshit Gibble, said precisely it means the other one. So I would like to suggest, and this is my thought, that having said for the last few minutes that persuade and mislead are two separate things. I don't think they are. I think they're similar. They're on a continuum, on a spectrum. They both lead to a similar result. The bad person ends up with the good person doing something wrong. Now, does the bad person tell the good person, being very judgmental here, does the bad person tell the good person that this wrong thing is wrong, but you really should do it? In other words, I'll use the image again. You should go over to the dark side. Or does the bad person mislead the good person and say it's actually a good thing to do? Or, or perhaps, better still, there's nothing wrong with it. The result is still the same. So I would suggest that the, the response to this conundrum is that Rashi thinks they're basically the same. And when he doesn't need to distinguish between the two, like in Yirmiyahu, he says, Yashiu means Yasitu, it means to persuade. And that's, and I'm going to add the word, basically what's going on here in Bereshit. And he, in Yemiyahu, he doesn't need to be more precise. In Bereshit, he does need to be more precise. And in Bereshit, when he's actually commenting on the word in Bereshit, he has to make the distinction. Why does he have to make the distinction? Why does he have to say, here, Chavar is saying, the snake misled me? Because two, the two reasons I gave before. Number one, it makes her defense make sense. She's not going to defend herself by saying, look, I knew it was wrong, but the snake told me it would be a fun thing to do. That's not much of a defense. It's a much better defense to say, the snake told me it was okay. And number two, and a stronger point, as I said earlier, that's exactly what Rashi said the snake did by pushing against the tree. So here, it's important that Rashi tells you it's a special form, if you like, if, uh, using my continuum idea. It's a special form of hasata, namely the form that is actually a trick, a misleading, rather than a persuading. But in Yimiyahu, he's not bothered by that distinction. So he says the basic idea of Yashiu is to persuade. As you see over here, it's the basic idea of what's going on in Bereshit is persuasion. In Bereshit, he needs to be more fine and more distinct. And there's a reason why I have come up with this continuum idea and see if you can spot it um, in the next Rashi that we come across. Let's move on, unless there's any questions. Pasuk Yudalot. So now, um, Hashem sorry, spoke to the Adam and said, what's going on? Why are you hiding? Did you eat from the fruit? And Adam replied and blamed the woman. He then spoke to Chava and he said, what have you done? And she said, well, this is what happened. The Nachash persuaded me or tricked me. So then look what happens in Pasuk Yudalot. Vayoma Hashem elokim el hanachash. Hashem said to the Nachash, Ki asita zot, because you have done this, arur ata mikol habahema u mikol chayat hasadeh. You will be cursed 
more than all the animals and all the beasts or wild animals of the field. On your belly you will go. For afar tochal, and dust you will eat, kol all the days of your life. And what does Rashi say on that? Ki asita zot, Hashem says to the snake, because you have done this, mikan from here we learn that you do not try and turn over the merit of an inciter. The idea is that if anyone comes before the Sanhedrin, um, we've been learning about this in Mishnah Yomit recently, then the Sanhedrin, the, the court, is obliged to try their very, very best to find Sukhut, basically to let him off. And certainly if it's a capital offense, then there are all sorts of uh, procedures that the court has to make sure that the chances of an acquittal are much greater than the chances of a conviction. Uh, because we don't like killing people. Uh, even though the death penalty exists, we don't like using it. And we go to all sorts of trouble, to turn over the merits of a guilty, uh, uh, somebody who's been charged with an offence. But not with a mesit. Not with an inciter. Now, when we talk about inciter, we're talking about inciting to a particular Avera, namely Avodazara. If somebody, if Reuben comes to Shimon and say, hey, Shimon, let's go and worship this idol, he is a mesit and he is punished severely. We don't look for Zuchut, we don't try and get him off the uh, charge. Even worse than that, we actually entrap him. It's the only case where the Torah allows us, in fact, encourages us to entrap him. Because you need two witnesses. I'll just tell you what I mean. You need two witnesses to convict somebody. So if Reuben says to Shimon, Shimon's the only witness. So what Shimon can do, in fact should do, is say, that's a very interesting idea. Can I bring my friend Levi? And you can say it to both of us, two people. And even worse, even worse. If Reuben says, no, I think I'll just, it'll be a private chat between me and you. Then what, Reuben, what Shimon should do is get Levi to hide behind a tree. And then says to Reuben, I just forgot what you said. Tell me again so the two of them can hear it. And then Levy springs out from behind the tree and says, gotcha. Okay, so that's what you do with a mesit. And in particular, let's go back to the first thing. You don't try and find Zuchut. <laughs> says Rashi, Mikan, from here, you see that you don't try and find Zuchut for the mesit. What is Rashi noticing? That the snake somehow... And, uh, uh, okay, we'll come to that. But why does Rashi say, what, how does Rashi say we learn from here that you don't try and find Zuchut for a mesit? You didn't ask the snake. Exactly. There's a lack of symmetry here. In the previous two cases, he said to the Adam and he said to Chava, tell me what you did. Defend yourself. But he doesn't give the snake a chance. And Rashi will go on to say a little bit why he doesn't. He doesn't give the snake a chance. He doesn't ask him, defend yourself. Because, and we see from this, that you don't defend a mesit. So there are two issues with the describing or the applying of the mesit idea in this case. Number one, a mesit is only about a vodazara. So, but what did this snake incite or persuade or mislead others into doing? Eating a fruit. Is that the same as a vodazara? So two possibilities. Either no, it's not the same, but it's compatible. And Rashi is saying, just as Hashem didn't give the Nachash a chance to defend himself, so also you don't give a Mesit a chance to defend themselves. That's not all that strong, because it does say, Mikan, from here, you learn. What would you like to add? Um, 
So do, do we learn the principle of Masjid from somewhere else in Torah? Yes, yes. Um, good question. It is mentioned elsewhere. This isn't the only source. Although Rashi does say, quoting Chazal, that it's Mikan. From here, from this very case, you learn the principle about Ein Mahabchim B'schuto, you don't try and find Zuchot. So yes, the idea of a Masjid comes elsewhere. Um, in Shoftim, I think. Thank you. To me, it seems like a Masjid is someone who tries to encourage someone to like acknowledge, like, what's the word, not a, um, not to deceive, but more to uh, like make them change their perception. Okay, so yes, so a, a persuader. So well, that is what the word it means, but I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that in a moment. Yes, I'll come back to that in just a moment. But where's the Avodah Zorah? So if you look in Perak Gimel Pasuk Hey, look at what the snake said to Chava will happen if she eats from the fruit. By eating from the fruit, you will become like God. And it's not too much of a stretch to say that that is attacking the integrity of HaKadosh Baruch saying that you can become like God. You can become a rival power to God. That is, that's pretty much what Avodah Zarah is. Avodah Zarah is setting yourself up as a God. I mean, you pretend to do it through worshipping some totem pole or whatever, at least that was the old way. Nowadays, you just say that God has told me what does apply today and what doesn't apply today. That's uh, in the same vein. Anyway, so making, my, making you, says the snake, making you like Elohim, perhaps that can mean um, a form of Avodah Zarah. But the bigger question is the one that I hope I've actually already answered. The problem is, in Pasuk Gimel, Rashi told us what um, Hishiani means, and he said it didn't mean Hasata. He didn't use those words, but that was the implication. By saying it does mean Hitani, he, uh, the snake may be making a mistake, not Hasata. And yet here, he says the snake is an example of a Mesit. So what's the, do you understand the problem? The problem is he went out of his way to say it's not Hasata, and now he says it is. So I, that's really why I said what I said before, that I think Hatani, making make a mistake, is under the general heading of Hasata. It's a particular form of Hasata. That's what I meant about the spectrum. And I think it's actually clear from this case. He's referring to the snake as a mesit, or at least the snake is a parallel to the case of a mesit. That's, or it's the same as a mesit, or it's parallel to the case of a mesit. So it must mean that when he said in your Gimel, Hishiani is Hitani, and then he says the snake is a Mesit, that Hitani and Hasata are two not totally dissimilar things. One's included in the other. Okay. Now, what Rashi. Yes? So where. Um, so where does Rashi. Like, why is Rashi saying we can't? Like, what is the can that, that he's learning it? From the fact, uh, so the question is, I must speak to the podcast because repeat all the questions because I'm told that you can't hear the questions. So the question is, where does Rashi see this from? Where's the Mikan? And the answer is from Hashem's not asking the snake to defend himself. But we have that, but we don't have where we know that the snake is amazing. So we do because the snake is encouraging Adam and Chava to eat the fruit. But I thought we only got that from Chava's accusation, which we said that is not referring to specifically 
Sorry, Chava's accusation was Hitani, was yeah. he made me make a mistake. Well, he, yeah. right. And you're, you're saying that's not the same as Hasata, because I made the point they're different. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, to which I'm now saying they're not so different. Okay, I am deliberately reversing what I said before. Before I said they're two different things, and now I say, in order to understand the Rashi on the Pasuk in Yemiyahu, which referred us back to here, and more importantly, because it was really setting up for this point, this word here that Rashi refers to the snake as an example of a mesit, they are really the same thing. They're, one's a variation of the other. I thought um, a mesit was a specific case of general, like, So how does Rashi learn such a general thing from such a specific case? Of- because, no, I, well, as I said, either you can say oh, it's... Uh, yeah, either you can say, well, it's similar, that the, the snake is doing something similar. Or you can be more precise, as some of the Mephoshim want to say, and because he said to Chava, you will be like gods, that by eating from the fruit, you will challenge the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is a Vodazara, and that is a Mesit. So someone who encourages somebody to be over a Vodazara is exactly what Hasata is. So answer your question? Yeah, I also just have one. Yes, please. Oh, it's a very interesting question. So you're saying, did Adam imply that Chava was a Mesit? In which case, then, we shouldn't have tried to find Zuchut for her, and Hashem shouldn't have asked her a question. So... Oh, is it just the first Mesit we care about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a brilliant question. I really do. And I hadn't thought of it. Let's just remember what we said in Yudbet. We did discuss it last week, but we didn't answer that question. We didn't see it in the light of Pasuk Yudalad. So, Yudbet says, And Rashi says that's a lack of gratitude because he should have said, thank you, Hashem, you gave me this wonderful wife. But he doesn't. He blames her. And he says, he, he puts the blame on Hashem. You put her with me. Um, you could say, in answer to your question, which I think is a strong question, we actually, we have to find a way that she's not a mesit, because otherwise it doesn't make sense that he asks her to defend herself and he doesn't ask the snake. So we have to say she's not a mesit. And I think the answer is, Adam doesn't say she told me to eat. He says, natna li. She gave me. And that is, um, okay, obviously she facilitated his eating. There's no doubt about that. But natna li is a much, much weaker form of facilitation. You know, if somebody puts food on your plate, hopefully you don't have to eat everything on your plate, right? Um, I think we used to in the old days, but I don't think that's good child-rearing anymore. You don't say you have to eat everything on your plate. I mean, I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm saying giving him to eat is not the same as what the snake did, which is to say to her, it'll be really good, your eyes will be opened, you'll be God. That's quite different than what Adam repeats here. Okay, there was a question here. Okay, that is a very big question. Why would Hashem give them the opportunity to commit Avodah so early on in creation? It's interesting that uh, I feel, given this year, I'm sort of exempt from going into the deep philosophical understandings of what happened when they ate from the tree. Why am I exempt? Because Rashi doesn't do that. Okay? And we're giving a Rashi shir. We're not giving a Mari Nebuchim shir or anything else. Um, but I think there is a simple answer to your question. And that is Bechira Havshit, free will. 
Free will is built into the creation of humankind. Right? Without free will, our existence doesn't make sense. So they had the chance. And, and the whole purpose, so they had the chance to fail. The whole point of giving them a mitzvah is, uh, a mitzvah implies you can fulfill the mitzvah or you might not. Indeed, there is a midrash that says the tree, di- this isn't Rashi necessarily, but the, no, it's definitely not Rashi, but there's a midrash that said the purpose, of the, the purpose of the mitzvah of not eating from the tree was nothing other than a test of loyalty to God. There was no significance of a tree whatsoever. It was just a mitzvah that God wants to give to the people so they have a chance to fulfill the mitzvah or chas v'shalom not. So free will is built into the um, fabric of creation. What you could say, and again, this isn't really Rashi, is you could say, in fact, well, no, Rashi doesn't say this. Perhaps it could be read into his words that before the, tr- the uh, fruit, sorry, before he ate from the fruit, the Yetzirah was external. Mm. And when he eats from the fruit, the Yetzirah goes internal. Now, how do I see that the Yetzirah was external? It's obvious. No, where, where was the Yetzirah? In the Nachash, right? The Nachash was the Yetzirah, which was external to Adam and Chava. And when they ate from the fruit, it went in. And then the, the same idea says that at the time of Matan Torah, they were rem- the Yetzirah was removed from them, and then it became external again. And that's why the Satan, when he persuaded them to build the golden calf, had to show them the image of Moshe's coffin that had to be an external stimulus to get them to do the terrible sin. Anyway, that's like a nice <laughs> idea. But the basic answer to your question is, they had free will, which means they could fall to the lowest depths. Yes? Who brings that down? I, well, I, I, it's, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, I remember, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, did this extend to animals? Like, did animals also have free will? Because otherwise, how could the snake have had a choice in what he was saying? And then if he did it, then, then did animals lose their free will after? Because they're. These are such good questions. These are such good questions. Um, no, it didn't apply to animals. And actually, Rashi made the point. Do you remember the word yetzer with a double yud? Um, uh, in Pasuk, bet yud tet, for yetzer Hashem Elohim in ha'adama kol chayat hasadeh. All the animals were created. And the word yetzer is spelt with a single yud. But when Hashem created man, it's with a double yud. And I can't see where it was. Uh, I think it, it's... Yeah, here it is. I was just about to turn the page. Um, Bet Zayin, Vayitzer, with a double yud. And Rashi says there, Shnei Yitzirat, Yitzirat Olam Haba, Yitzirat Chayat Ametim. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, man has got the chance to go to Olam Haba, uh, and the animals haven't. So it's not quite the same thing. I was thinking of something else. Um, basically, we hold that animals do not have a Yitzhahara. So the Nachash was an exception. Uh, it would make sense if that were what Rashi said, but Rashi doesn't say it. So we're left actually with a harder question. It's, you're, you're, we're, we're, I think we're stuck to say the animals didn't have free will, except the Nachash, he did. Because uh, he's called a Mesit. So unless you say he's just like a, a program to do his Hasata, maybe. And he does get punished, that's a good point. If he gets punished, that proves that he had free will, because otherwise it wouldn't be fair to punish him. So I'll leave that as a very good question. Yes. What therefore made the Nachash unique? What made the Nachash unique? I, I don't know. Okay, at this point, guys, with your permission, I'm going to say, let's move on, because I'm getting stuck in these very deep questions. Let's move on, because 
Rashi has to tell us what difference it would have made had Hashem asked the Nachash to defend himself. And that's what he's going to do in the next couple of lines. But just by the way, I just want to stress, where's Rashi coming from in the first place? Rashi thinks there should be symmetry between the Pesukim, and if there isn't, there's a reason for it. So I'm just reiterating. In Pasuk, Yud Aleph, he says to Adam, what's going on? And Adam gives an answer in Pasuk Yud Bet. In Pasuk Yud Gimel, he says to Chava, what's going on? And she gives an answer. And in Pasuk Yud Dalet, he says to Benachash, you're guilty. And it's that change in sequence that Rashi is sensitive to, as he is so many places. Those subtle differences. This one isn't so subtle, it's quite obvious, but uh, you have to look for it and then you see it. This is what drives Rashi. Now, Rashi has said, you don't give the Mesit an opportunity to defend themselves. So in order to understand that, we have to know how would the Mesit, the Nachash in this case, case defended himself. Now, it's important that Rashi has to give a, what he might have said, because otherwise, his, uh, what Rashi said so far doesn't make sense. In other words, if there were no way for the Nachash to defend themselves, <coughs> then it wouldn't make any difference whether Hashem gives him a chance or not, because there'd be nothing for him to do. So in order to make the point that the Nachash wasn't given a chance to defend himself, it must be that he would have had a defense. And now Rashi tells you what the defense is. She'ilu sha'alo, because if Hashem had asked him, lama asita zot, why did you do this? Hayalola hashiv, he could have answered. And quotes a Talmudic principle, divrei harav, divrei ha-talmid, divrei mi shom'in. The words of the teacher and the words of the student, whom, which words do you listen to? Now, this is a basic principle. And it's about when somebody tells you to do something wrong. So if Reuven tells Shimon to do something wrong, not a Bodhazara, but uh, a, another type of uh, offense, and Shimon d- does it wrong, and then Shimon says, well, it's not my fault because Reuven told me to commit this Avera. Not that he was misled. Shimon knew it was wrong. But Reuven told him to commit the Avera. Is that a defense? No, it's not a defense. Because Shimon says, because uh, Hashem, as it were, or, or Bet Din, can say to Shimon, look, Hashem tells you in the Torah not to do the action. Reuven tells you to do the action. Which one should you listen to? Obviously, you listen to Hashem. And that is why we say, Ein shaliach Avera, that you can't, um, say that I did the Avera, but I'm only the shaliach of somebody else, so I'm not personally responsible. It doesn't work like that. Now, that doesn't mean Reuven is innocent. And there's a discussion amongst the Mephoshim. Does that mean the snake would have been let off completely if, if we'd gone through this scenario and Hashem says, what's your defense? And he would have used the words, divrei arav, divrei atamid, divrei mishomin, the words of the teacher, i.e. God, the words of the student, i.e. the snake, whom should they listen to? So there's a discussion because that Rashi sounds like he's saying that had the snake used that defense, then the snake would have been innocent because he's not really an inciter because Adam shouldn't have listened to him and Chava shouldn't have listened to him. And that's actually not the halacha. So someone to say that it might have been the halacha at this time because the mitzvot or the halachot applying to a mesit hadn't yet been given. So maybe at that point the snake would have thought it was a good defense. And maybe at that point, it would have been a good defense. Um, but that's, that, I don't really want to get into that. I think it gets a little bit too technical. The point is that the snake would have come up with that defense. 
to say that even if I tell Adam and Chava to eat from the fruit, they shouldn't have done so. So don't blame me, because it's their fault, not mine. And that's what Rashi spells out as the defense that the Nachash would have given had he been given a chance, but he wasn't given a chance. And that explains, Mikan she'ein mahabchim bezuchutol she'meisit. That's the proof that we don't give a chance to the Mesit to defend themselves. Now, then Rashi has something else to say. And, um, well, let's see how we go. Mikol habehema umikol chayat hasadeh. You are cursed more than all the animals and more than the, let's translate it as beasts of the field. Now, I have to say, um, it's always a little bit unclear, certainly to me, what's the difference between a behema and a chaya? There are important halachic differences between a behema and a chaya. Um, in the kosher behema and kosher chaya, you can't eat the uh, certain fats from a behema, but you can eat them from a chaya. If you shech the chaya, you have to cover its blood. If you shech the behema, you don't have to cover its blood. Roughly speaking, a behema is a domesticated animal and a chaya is a non-domesticated animal. But it doesn't quite work because a deer, for instance, is a chaya. But anyway, chaya tasadeh, We've got a bit more of a range because they don't have to be kosher animals we're talking about here. The snake, says Hashem, is more cursed than the animals. Let's call them the domesticated animals. Cows, sheep, goats, that sort of thing. Um, Donkeys, that's another one. Um, More cursed than the animals and more cursed than the chayatasadeh, the wild animals. Now, you have to understand that whatever behemoth and chayat are, behemoth are sort of worse than chayot, anyway, their lives are sort of worse, in a particular respect, which we'll come to soon. So Rashi asked the question, um, which this is straight from a Gemara, which was learned in Dafyomi a couple of, uh, three weeks ago. Im ha nit kalal, lo kol If the snake is cursed more than the behema, isn't it certainly cursed more than the chaya? Because the uh, behema is sort of even worse than the chaya. So if it's cursed to have a worse situation than even the behemoths, then obviously it's worse than the chayas. And, continues Rashi to answer the question, The rabbis established this midrash, or this, this uh, midrash in the sense of learning out from the words, in Mesechet Bechorot, which is what we've been learning in Daf Yomi. Luna made... The days of the gestation of a Nachash are seven years. Now, I have to say, the Gemara understands, I missed out a bit before, the Gemara understands that the curse uh, that animals have and, and Chayot HaSadeh also have is the curse of lo- relatively long gestations. Um, we're going to see, actually, as it happens, we're going to see in the, in the couple of Psukim Heinz that being pregnant is not always a lot of fun. Um, and... There's a, there's a curse. There's a curse in the length of gestation. And let me tell you what the Gemara learns. And Rashi's referring us to this. So let me spell it out. Even though it might seem a little bit far from the Peshat, the Gemara says this is the Peshat. And Rashi, by quoting it, says this is the Peshat. So the Gemara says that the curse of the Nachash is that their period of gestation will be even longer than a Behemah and even longer than a Chaya. And the Gemara works out a little bit of maths. It says it's going to be as, as much as the behema is longer in terms of gestation than the chaya, that will be how much the nachash is longer than the behema. And this comes in a section of the Gemara where the Gemara has listed 
the gestational periods for lots of different species. And it says amongst the chaya, the shortest one available is that of the cat, which is 52 days. And amongst the behemoth, the longest one is a donkey, which is a year. So the ratio of the longest behemoth to the shortest chaya is 365 days to 52 days, which is very close to seven. The behemoth is seven times longer. So you, the Nachash, your gestation will be seven times longer than the behemoth. So the longest behemoth is one year. Yours will be seven years. That's how the Gemara learns it. And the important thing in terms of Rashi, just a minute, the important things in terms of Rashi is that's why the Pasuk has the extra words. What are the extra words? The extra words are Omikol Chayatasadeh. Because if you're cursed more than a behemoth, you must be cursed more than a chaya. So the Gemara explains, but they're there to, as to make the calculations. Now, I have to say, I did a little bit of um, looking up on Wikipedia, etc. And it does seem that the Gemara's estimates of gestational periods of species are not concurred with by the zoologists. Um, um, in, in some respects, for instance, the longest mammal um, gestation is an elephant, which is a year and a half. Um, so I'm a little bit stuck. Um, it's easy to say that Chazal didn't know the science. Uh, the, uh, sorry, the Chazal were going with the science of their time. I, it's a big debate whether uh, Chazal knew all that science knows. I think it's very, very um, acceptable and indeed very, very reasonable to say that they didn't, as does Rav Hirsch, as does the Rambam, as do many others. Um, or you can say that when they give these gestational periods, it's a metaphor, they're teaching a particular lesson. After all, why are they teaching it at all in the Gemara? That's a little bit hard because if it is a metaphor, it makes it a little bit hard to then make deductions from those numbers and come out with a snake having seven years, which, by the way, is also not borne out by science either. So what exactly is the meaning of these references to these gestational periods, as you see in the Gemara, and this one that you see here, that the snake gets it for seven years, I'm not entirely sure. But what I hope I'm trying to do is understand how Rashi understands the question and the answer. The question is, why are there extra words in the Pasuk? the extra reference to the Chayat HaSadeh? And the answer is, it's there for the calculations, which show that just as a Chaya, namely a cat, has a gestational period of 52 days, and a donkey, which is a behemoth, has one for a year, which is seven times as long, so the snake is seven times as long as that, and the snake's is seven years. Yes, your question. Um, kind of what you just said, but don't snakes lay eggs? Yeah. In which case, it doesn't really work. Um, yes. I, you kind of just answered that. Um, I, I don't know if all snakes lay eggs. I'm not a snake expert. I know some snakes do lay eggs. That's what my research showed me, which was a bit of a, bit of a problem, actually. Um, and, and it talks about how long the snakes, sorry, the, the eggs take to, to hatch, um, but that won't really be a curse for the snake anyway. So um, I leave that as sorry. So I'm leaving a lot of questions unanswered tonight. Um, the, the question on where these numbers come from, if they're not matched by scientific understanding, I don't know. If they are to be understood metaphorically, what does that mean? I don't know. What is it best So you're saying maybe the snake's den is a different species from snakes today. I would say a different question, but similar. There's lots of different species of snake. Okay? Um, I was at uh, the... Um, Moonlight Sanctuary not long ago where I take my grandchildren to see animals and they held a snake. Um, but it occurred to me then there are lots of different snakes. It's quite important to know which snakes are poisonous and which snakes are not because they're different and maybe their gestational periods are different and maybe even their style of reproduction is different. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, 
uh, floating here because I don't really know much about snakes. But maybe uh, there's been changes of snake species from then to now, and certainly maybe there are different snakes with different well, yeah, conditions. And the lifespan might be different. Yes, the lifespan of humans was certainly different, so maybe there were differences in snakes as well. Is there another question over here? No. Okay, all right, that's it for the uh, cursing. But then the pastor goes on to say, Al You will go on your belly. And Rashi says on that, It had legs, and they were cut off. Now, why does Rashi have to say, so I think there's at least three answers that I can think of. One is, you, a very simple answer, you might wonder, um, how is it a curse if the snake, as we see today, crawls along the ground? So why is Hashem telling him that you're going to crawl along the ground? Uh, and the answer is, Rashi has to explain, the snake you see today is not how the snake used to be. There was a change, and that's part of the curse. So the change was it used to have legs and the curse was it didn't have legs. But I think actually a better answer is Rashi's helping you understand the Pasuk. Because um, you might think is a description of the Arur Ata. It's the exemplification of what it means you are cursed. But it doesn't mean that. How do I know it doesn't mean that? Because Rashi's already told us what the curse means, and it means something else. It means you'll be pregnant for seven years. That's what the curse is. So therefore, Algonachar Teleich is telling us something new. It's not what the curse was. And therefore, Rashi has to tell us what it's telling us new. So in addition to being pregnant for seven years, because that's what Rashi says, Arur Atah Mikol Abahimah Mikol means there's something else as well you will also go on your belly. And that's going to be a new change. And that's why Rashi has to tell you what's, how that's going to come about. Another part of the curse is Raglaim Hayu Lo Benikatsu. used to have legs and they were cut off. Yes? Why couldn't there be more than one curse? I think essentially there is. And that's what Rashi's telling you. You're right, question, why couldn't there be more than one curse? There is. There's the seven years and there's the loss of legs. But Rashi's telling you that that's how you read the person. But al is not... Well, the third thing I was going to suggest is you might have read al as just like the status quo. Like, okay, you're going to be cursed. And the way snakes live is they go crawling on their belly. But Rashi has to tell you that no, it's a change. So it, it, you can say whether I'm giving you three answers or two. Um, but, but in terms of reading the Pasuk... He's telling you that there are two aspects to the curse, which you might have otherwise not realized without that Rashi. Okay, let's move on to the next Pasuk. Rashi's got nothing to say about eating dust all of his life. But Pasuk Tet Vav, or we can make a start, there's a lot to say on Pasuk Tet Vav, and it says, The Eva Ashit Beinacha Uvein Haisha, and hatred I will put between you and between the woman. Ubein Zaracha, and between her as your descendants, i.e. the snake species, Ubein Zara, and her descendants, i.e. human species, who Yeshufcha, Rosh, Va'ata, Teshufeno, Akev. Now, we're not going to have time to get to the meanings of those words, so I'll tell you what Rashi says they mean. Who Yeshufcha, Rosh, he will crush you on the head, he, humans, descendants of Chava, will crush you on the head, 
Va'ata Toshufeno, and you will, Art Scroll translates it as hiss. Um, uh, well, Rashi says more, you will bite you on the heel. Uh, and even though Rashi makes the point, and we'll see next week, those two words look the same, but they actually have two quite different meanings. But let's go to the first part of Rashi, and maybe I should have left more time for this because we need to look at this carefully and understand it carefully. Uh, and you'll see exactly in a moment why I say that. For Eva Ashit, so I will put enmity. So Rashi wants to say why that's a particularly appropriate. Hashem punishes Midah Kenegid Midah. Why does he give this particular punishment? Why is he going to put enmity between the woman and the snake? And he says, says Rashi, for Eva Ashit, Ata. Lo nit kavanata ela shiyamot adam keshiachal hu techila v'tisa et chava. You only intended, or I'll rephrase it as a double negative. You only intended, except in other words, your whole intention was that Adam will die when she will give. When, sorry, when he will eat first, and then you will marry chava. Now, a few points before we get on to the next words. Um, you will remember that Rashi said. At the very beginning, our Perik Gimel Pasuk Aleph, that, um, yeah, the snake saw Adam and Chava, who before they ate from the fruit, did not understand shame and did not understand that sexual relations were somehow um, to be treated in a different way from other basic bodily functions. And he saw Adam and Chava naked and he saw Adam and Chava having relations and he was consumed with desire for Chava. And Rashi said at the beginning, and now Rashi recalls, that the whole plan was to kill off Adam and to marry Chava, because that was what the snake wanted. Okay, weird idea. Um, uh, we might not have thought that there's a sexual element to this story. Rashi says quite clearly that there is. We might be uncomfortable with the idea of a snake wanting to uh, have relations with a woman. Um, but anyway, that's what Rashi said was going on. Um, but that raises an obvious question. That raises an obvious question. Why did he speak to Chava? Why did he tell Chava to eat from the fruit? That doesn't make sense. He's trying to get them dead, right? Or at least one of them dead. So he tells Chava to eat from the fruit. And what's going to happen if his plan is successful? She'll eat from the fruit. She'll die. It'll be like the last scene of Romeo and Juliet. Where, well, and then they both die, but the wrong one will die. So how can Rashi make sense of his plan? So he said, as a little clue here, that he will eat first. So presumably the snake imagined that Chava will say, you know what, we should eat from the fruit. And she will prepare a nice dinner of fruit. And she will sit down with her husband over a candlelit meal and say, I've got a lovely new item on the menu tonight. Here, try some of the forbidden fruit and Adam will eat it first because that's what he does and he will drop down dead and then she will say oh gosh I better not eat my portion and wedding bells for her and the snake okay <laughs> but that still raises a question that's still I realize my timing is really bad tonight and you're about to see what I mean that still raises a question and the question is what would have been a better system just talk to Adam okay so the, his plan rested on uh, ex- uh, determining what Chava's dinner arrangements would be, which was a risk. Uh, and as it turned out, it failed because they both ate together. I think she ate first and she gave to him. 
So why did he go to Chava first? Why didn't he go to Adam first, where there wouldn't have been a risk to the plan? And here comes the answer. Um, he only went, sorry, it's talking to you. You only went to Chava, first of all, because women, I'm going to leave it untranslated, Datan Kalot, there's a reason why I leave it untranslated, to be seduced, and then they know how to seduce, as in influence, I don't think it's normally the, the other meaning of seduce, their husbands. Lefika the Eva Asit. And therefore, he says, I will put enmity. So, in the two minutes we've got left, I'll deal with the whole national data colour in two minutes. No, I won't. We're going to have to come back to it next week. I, let's just leave it and, and give, me, uh, uh, give me a week's grace to come back and explain what I think he means. Um, in terms of what Rashi is doing, in terms of what Rashi is doing, Rashi is saying there's a very good reason why Hashem, and this is really the beginning of the punishment, well, sorry, the snake's already been punished, but then Hashem says, I'm going to create a new situation where the women and the snake will hate each other, which is precisely Midah Kenege Midah because the snake did the whole thing in order to get together with Chava. And now Hashem says, you're going to be further than you ever were. There's going to be no interaction between you and humankind ever again. They're going to, you're going to hate each other. They're going to kill you. You're going to kill them. So that's a response to what really was the motivation of the Nachash. The next thing is, then Rashi has to explain if the motivation of the Nachash, which is relevant here because Hashem is responding to it, was that he will marry Chava. Why did he encourage Chava to eat the fruit and not Adam? So the plan, we're told, was that Adam would eat first and then Chava would stay alive. But there's a risk. Why, in, in that case, did the snake not go to Adam first? And the answer was because he knew that Chava would be easier to persuade. Because Nashim Datan Kalot, which is sometimes translated as women are, their minds are light. I'll give you another two translations next week. And sometimes it's interpreted as women are less clever than men. I don't think that is actually borne out by any evidence. And let me give you homework. Nashim Datan Kalat occurs twice and only twice in the whole Gemara. And if you look at those two instances, that might give you a picture, not this one, by the way, this is the Midrash, but in the whole Gemara, it only occurs twice, once in Shabbat and once in Kedushan. And if you look there, it might give you a picture of what it means. Now, I'm not going to use apologetics, and what we come up with might not be incredibly liked by everyone here and everyone in 2019, but I'll tell you what I think it means. But let's just leave it with this point in order to understand the structure of Rashi. Rashi says the snake went to Chava first, even though he really wanted Adam to eat the fruit first because she would be easier to seduce, or perhaps that's too strong a word, easier to persuade Lefisha Hanashim Datan Kalot. But his real intention was that Adam would die and that he would marry Chava, and that's why and this is the whole point of the Rashi, Hashem says that Eva Asit I'm going to respond to your plan to get together with Chava by making sure you'll never be further apart than you will be now. We will stop there and we will meet again next week.